And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So how do you deal with failure? Because if you're an entrepreneur or startup founder, I can pretty much guarantee one thing. At some point, you're going to have to answer that question and you're going to learn a lot about yourself along the way. That's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. Now, before we get too far into that, a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. That's my company and we can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. Go to Fullscale.io and go to that get, Getting Started page and answer a couple questions and hopefully we can give you some good advice afterward. With me today, I've got Bob Armbrister and Bob is the president and CEO of Spark Business Works. Go to sparkbusinessworks.com. There's a link in the show notes to that. There's a link to fullscale.io, and you can learn more about him, learn more about us. And, uh, you know, without any further ado, straight out of Kalamazoo, Bob, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. You know, I just like saying Kalamazoo. Is that all right? I know, right? I mean, it's kind of uh, Hopefully some of your listeners have heard of us. Yeah, a better question is how many of them can spell Kalamazoo? Well, you know, Bob, once again, welcome to the show. And, you know, I like to start out any show by giving a little bit of background and and backstory about uh, whoever I'm having a conversation with. So why don't we just jump right into that with you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Um, Yeah, not from Kalamazoo, but I landed here um, and graduated college, never left. Uh, You know, started to, uh, it was, you know, uh, late 2000s, big startup um, time in the industry, um, all those, you know, there were dot coms, there's all, all sorts of different things. And, and I got the the knack for it. Lots of uh, lots of failure on all sorts of different platforms. And, and I could probably tell you every single way not to not do a software startup. Um, and then over time, uh, you know, started to say, hey, who who made all the money during uh, all those startup failures? And it was the developers. Uh, probably one of the biggest transfers of wealth um, at the time was from entrepreneurs to developers. And so I uh, got to a point where I said, hey, I'm going to start a service. I'm just going to start a service side of it, right? And not have to bet on on the right horse, uh, but basically sell uh, sell the tools of the miners, so to speak. And, and that was Spark. But the, the approach that I wanted to take was helping entrepreneurs and businesses not make the same mistakes that I made. Um, and because uh, uh, without doing those, you know, you got to learn the hard way. And so taking that approach, uh, you know, Spark, we hit the Inc. 5000 last year, one of the fastest growing uh, technology companies in the state of Michigan. And we're service platform, you know, we're service, um, not a not a SaaS platform. So pretty, pretty uh, honored to get that uh, for the team. And um, that's that's the quick high level background. 
I know a couple things about the tech service business myself. And, you know, like you mentioned, uh, I know. They, they often say that the people that make the most money during a gold rush are the people that sell pickaxes and shovels, uh, not necessarily the gold miners. But that isn't always true. Now, one of the things that um, I want to we go ahead and get right into and, you know, we're we're here talking about how to deal with startup failure. And, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show is if you're an entrepreneur or a founder, uh, you're going to run into that eventually. And I don't really know anybody that hasn't uh, failed at some level, you know, and that doesn't mean that the business definitely necessarily imploded, but you kind of deal with, you're ripe with failure and little things that, that go well or, or don't. But, you know, you, you, in 2008, you launched a business and that was a tough time to, to launch a business. Uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, that didn't go that well, but, you turn around and spent 1800 bucks and build an iPad app that ended up getting 3 million downloads. Um, we were laughing about that a little bit before we hit record because sometimes the stuff that you mean to do doesn't always go well. And then the little skunk works or little tiny things on the, right. you know, it's like an accidental business, you know, comes along. So, you know, give us a little back. I want to hear a little bit more about that story before we talk about the, you know, how we've dealt with failure and how you come back from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I got to a point. So in 2000, let's see, 2007, 2008, you know, I did a, I did a SaaS platform for neighborhoods, um, which now you look at like next door and some of these other ones, I'm like, man, I was like 10 years early. Um, I, you know, we had a, a platform, a B2B platform that we pivoted into. I did some FinTech stuff. I mean, you name it. Um, and what I did learn was how to build software. What I didn't learn was how to build a, a software that actually made money. And I basically said, I'm out of it. Like I'm done. I'm, I'm not doing it again. Right. Um, borrowed money from friends and family. Oh, that's, just brutal when those don't work out. Um, and so I said, no, I'm done. Like I'm not doing any more startups. And then, uh, one of my friends came to me and said, Hey, I, uh, he's a T he was a teacher at the time. And he said, I've got this idea for an app. My kids could use it. I got a quote from a local developer and it's going to be, you know, high, uh, tens of thousands and he doesn't have the, the capital to do it. And I was like, man, you know, one thing I did learn in those early startups was understanding the marketplace that you're building for. So I built an app for neighborhoods and I didn't even own a house. Like, what was I thinking? Right. Like I didn't know the problem. Um, and so I, I realized, well, Hey, look, this guy knows the, the problem, right? He's a teacher. He knows he's one of the end users. He would be the buyer. He knows the marketplace uh, or has access to the marketplace. And I said to him, I said, all right, well, Hey, if we build a quick prototype, like $100, like let's just spend $100, get a designer to spend a couple hours, do a prototype. We send a survey to some of um, other teachers and let's get their feedback. If that survey comes back with good results, you know, I'll split it with you. I'll fund the development and you do the marketing side. And so I called it the $100 test at the time. Like we can't spend more than $100 because I just said there's no way. So it's like, you're not going to spend money on a logo. We're not going to spend money, you know, on a, business registration, any of that stuff. We're going to just spend it on focusing, getting feedback from the client. And so, uh, so we did, and we got great results. We had, uh, you know, 20 or 30 teachers respond saying, I will buy this right now if you had it. And so it was like, wow. Okay. Um, and one thing that I learned during that time was, you know, how to build software for, for less than most using onshore and offshore resources. 
And so we had paying customers sitting there. I'm like, holy cow, like my other startups weren't like this. Like we took 12 months to build my first SaaS platform. But now I've got, you know, 20, 30 people ready to buy an app. I'm like, how do I get this thing to them in a few weeks, right? It changes the whole time. I mean, it changes everything. Um, and we did. So we, you know, my, uh, uh, my friend and I, we launched that thing. I did all the development. He just started lining up teachers and presentations to push it. And, uh, and we launched it and the thing started making money within, you know, months. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, got to a point where we let the cash flow fund development, you know, this is something I didn't do in the early ones, right? Let cash flow fund the new features, let the clients and the customers tell you what to build. And yeah, that thing has been super successful. We've been in, you know, parents magazine and downloading, you know, 50 plus countries and, uh, no overhead. It's amazing. Kind of, remind, kind of reminds me of a story from a past guest, uh, Joel Tepley, who's here in Kansas City in uh, Cambrian Tech, and they uh, do computer vision stuff. And he launched, a, he, he kind of threw together an app that would help you uh, put, you know, see what your walls look like with a specific color of paint. Mm-hmm. And they, he put it in the app store and got like 100,000 downloads in like a week. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden he had a different problem. He's like, oh, shit. I got to figure out how to like, I got, I, I got to like charge at least like a dollar for this right. or something. So, you know, it's a, you, you never know. And, and I mean, and you really do never know. Like, I, I think that sometimes your best intentions as a startup founder, like you mentioned taking 12 months to build a SaaS platform and you talk about all the money, emotions, uh, everything that can go into that. And then, you know, sometimes you hear the proverbial wah, 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 wah yeah. sound, oh, yeah. and, you, you know, so when, when your first business, so 2008 for, you know, as a reminder for some was an incredibly turbulent time for America, you know, we had what oh, yeah. we call that we call the housing crisis or, you know, there's a financial meltdown and, you know, that froze up a lot of markets and access to capital. And, you know, people just weren't spending money and, and Way different investing than, and yeah. doing a lot of stuff. And it really just kind of, I mean, honestly, just slowed a lot of shit down. So, you know, the landscape wasn't super great. Now, how did you deal with that particular failure? Man, that's that's one of the things that, you know, I talked to a lot of younger entrepreneurs about is this pressure like this stereo, I don't know if it's a stereotype or if it's just the marketplace or there's like this pressure that, you know, you have to have this massive exit or this massive billion dollar unicorn company to be successful. Um, and I think that pressure really, I mean, it, it ate at me after, you know, after closing the doors on a, a couple of those first ones, that's when I was like, I can't do this again, right? Like your identity during those times of startup, like you're selling it to everybody, right? You're, and so when that doesn't work out, I mean, there's a real like identity crisis, ego bruised. I mean, it's, I mean, that can really mess with somebody um, and really hinder them from starting to go again. And I almost didn't do anything else. Um so I think, you know, helping people realize like you don't need, you know, to have some multi-million dollar exit. You know, we, we built an app that, that does really well. It's not, you know, it's not some, you know, massive, you know, hundred million dollar app, but 
there's no overhead, right? And so a lot of times you, people got to take that into perspective when it comes to to startups. Like don't don't create so much infrastructure and so much um, overhead and and build something up to the point where it can't be successful. Um, so I don't know. I think there's there's uh, you know setting the right expectations and then uh, learning from those failures turning it around, not making the same mistakes twice. I mean, that's, that's the key, I guess. So I, I think the viewpoint you just gave there is pretty typical with younger founders and entrepreneurs, meaning like, you know, you, here you are. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is, is I talked to so many uh, founders and, you know, I'm like an old man now I'm 46 <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm like old enough to be a lot of founders dad. And, you know, the thing is, is we put this strange expectation on 25 year olds in many cases or 22 year olds that right. you need that you somehow know what you're doing and that you'll get right. it right. And the thing is, is as you get older, you realize that everybody has some failure in their background. And honestly, as someone who's made some pretty significant investments in different startups and businesses over the years, I actually don't want to invest in people that haven't failed. Because if you haven't failed, you have a feeling of being bulletproof. And that's a very dangerous uh, place to be with my money. And that's, and I don't like that. Right. So, you know, and, and it's, there's, yeah. um, you know, in, in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, I talk about, uh, you know, in the very beginning of, of my story of entrepreneurship, uh, we had, you know, uh, I'm not going to get too far into it. You can read the book if you want, but, um, you know, talking about having found a whole lot of success that basically just got absolutely imploded, splintered, blown to pieces by a Google update. And um, I remember the sinking feeling in my stomach of how that felt to like have the success one day and then it was just gone. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. But overall, like, you know, for those of you listening, I'm, I'll just, whether it means anything coming from me or not, I, I'm licensing you to fail. Because you're going to, and you have to learn how to not be threatened by that. So, you know, my, my wife asked me at the beginning of the pandemic, we're about three months in, and she said to me, she said, you seem to be handling this really well. And I said, <laughs> well, I, and I said, I'm not because I'm a fucking mess inside, but, <laughs> right. but showing that and bringing it out and acting like, you know, like it isn't going to help anything. And also I have a ton of confidence in myself. I'm good at making money. So even if what we're doing craters and fails and does whatever, we're never going to, we're never going to be out on the streets, you know, at a minimum, I'm a hell of a salesperson and there's always a yeah, job yeah. for that guy. Now I've been an entrepreneur for so long that I'm probably there's always not a employable. job in sales. Yeah. Well, right. And I'm also probably not employable because I've been, you know, I don't think I'd be a very good employee, but you know, but overall, like you can't be threatened by it because there's really no productive, there's no productive result 
of being threatened by failure. And once you can kind of move that off to the side and charge forward and, you know, like, guess what? You're going to fail. You're going to fail a lot. Now it might not be the whole business cratering, but man, everybody I know is like, you know, if you, it's uh, success and failure looks like the price of cryptocurrency on many days for, for founders. It's up, it's down, it's all, it's, and it's completely unpredictable in so many regards, you know, and, and that's just the life of being an entrepreneur. Now with that, I think a lot of people aren't really built to handle that. And I think that different personality types and different people and just everyone, we're all, we're all as founders, we're like snowflakes. We all have a different pattern imprint and, and situation and that, but that feeling of, of failure or, you know, going out of business per se, um, it has a lot more weight in a lot of people, you know, especially as you get older, you know, I mean, we mentioned earlier feeling old and, you know, you, so if you're a young founder, I mean, I think that's the time to just really just go balls out and just like go for it. Cause you know, like I've got a wife and two kids and a house payment and like all this other stuff. Right. That feels a lot more real later in life uh, than it does earlier. Well, but, you know I mean? Yeah. I mean, Matt. so so what'd you learn? What did you learn yeah. from the first failure? Like, I mean, do, do, do you agree or disagree with what I just oh, said? I, about the- I, dude, I agree so much with that, Matt. I speak at, uh, we have an incubator at uh, Western Michigan University that I speak at in there. Each cohort, I, I do a, a session on there. And I tell these students that your lifestyle, you you have the least amount of bills you will ever have. Right. So your criteria to have some financial success in a startup, you do not need to make a massive multimillion dollar business to change your life. Right. You're you don't have kids. You don't have a house. You don't have all these things that come later on in life that that usually take the take people away from from the risk of entrepreneurship. Um, You know, and so getting them to set the right expectations, I think that's where I um, learned a lot from from my disappointment in my failures was because I set my expectations way too high, right? Early twenties, never did a startup. Why am I setting expectations for myself that I need to have some multi-million dollar thing when really I could have just, you know, built something that had more passive income or, or something that you, know, you don't need to have the expectations so high. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned. And I try to communicate, um, to younger entrepreneurs, um, is just manage the expectations, right? You got to well, well, here, here's years, the reality: years it, well, of entrepreneurship. Yeah, the, you have about as much of a chance of starting a music career and playing in stadiums as you do of making a unicorn startup. Like it's honestly, right. the, I mean, the numbers are really similar. You know, it's like so when you talk about that level yes, of expectation. Right. Now, now, you know, I, I, I always I use music references a lot because I worked in the music industry and I even published a book about it a few years ago. And I remember my co-author uh, when this podcast was just starting to gain traction. I remember how excited I was to hit twenty five thousand downloads a month, which, by the way, at current standards would be like the worst month that we've had in years. But I was really excited about that. And I reached out okay. to Joel Cummins, who's a, who's a really well-known musician and plays in front of 10,000 people and like, you know, all this stuff. And, and I said, hey, man, um, 
you know, I just get 25,000 downloads a month on the, on the podcast. I said, is that any good? And he said to me, he said, well, do you think it's good? And I said, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And he said, then you're successful. Because, you know, these things are self-defined. Ah, there you, you go. Know? And, and I thought that right. that was like maybe one of the most, you know, mature and deep things that someone had ever said to me when it came to success. And, you know, I've, I've had years to kind of mull that over and I've just really come to the realization like your, your success is defined by you. Yep, not exactly. defined by others. So it's like people have asked me a lot. They're like, how do I make more money? I said, well, you got to quit focusing on money. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you got to get good at something now. Okay. Well, but when am I successful financially when you're no longer worried about money? Right. And that's different for everybody, but yep. that's an example. Like, you know, and so, but these things are all self-defined. So really in the end, it's like, you know, you need to worry about meeting your expectations and your timelines and all of it. And that becomes difficult when you, you mentioned taking other people's money. Now I don't do, I don't do family. I don't want to, I won't take money from my family. Neither do I anymore. <laughs> well, you don't now. Yeah. But, <laughs> right. uh, you know, at, at, and I didn't before. When you're younger, that's what they tell you to I, do. Well, well, I wouldn't now because there's a level of like gravity that, I mean, there's a realness that comes to oh, that. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to continue to be friends and have a good relationship with your family, you might want to seek some other investors first, but that, that external money really does create a level of expectations. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that after I remind everyone that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. We have 225 people in our office. Isn't that nuts, man? That's a lot. It's a lot. It's like you, yeah, it's a lot of so, families to be responsible for. Well, that's right. And that's like why I want to roll into that because, you know, the if you do gain traction and you do move forward, you know, we were talking about the pandemic and all of that. And, you know, the level of expectation and the and the weight that um, goes on the shoulders of a leader or a founder or a CEO, uh, it can be tremendous. And and the, the thing is, is, you know, I want to go back to the fact that if you're dwelling on that or an, all you're thinking about is failing, it can become pretty easy to make that a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Meaning like you're just going to kind of think it into reality. Now, with that, the top performing people ever aren't negative people. They don't sit around and dwell on like they don't they're not looking for the sky to fall. They're you know, moving past that. They're looking forward. They're not staring in the rear view mirror the whole time and going, oh man, but we failed and uh, fail, 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 fail. Like, um, you know, the same thing said about athletes, like uh, an athlete that makes an error or a turnover or a strikeout, they say the very best athletes just have a short-term memory. Like they forgot about that last mess up and they move forward. Yeah, you got to learn from it internalize it, share it. And that's the one thing I've learned is I used to kind of keep some of these things to myself. <laughs> like, no, I'm telling my other, my team, Hey, look, this yeah. is the mistake I made so they can learn from it before, you know, having <clears throat> to do it themselves that, but yeah, just like athletes learn from it, forget about it and 
play to win and don't, you know, as soon as you play to not lose is when you're going to start losing ground and yeah. You, what you mentioned, you talk about just taking responsibility and, you know, this is something that humans are inherently bad at, you know, whether you're a startup <laughs> yes. founder or anything, and I'll give you an example. So that, you know, you, you are around everyday examples of people not taking responsibilities. So here's a classic example. Someone shows up to the office and they're like, I just got a speeding ticket. And you're like, I can't believe that police officer had the, I can't believe that he would give me a ticket. And you say, well, were you speeding? Well, yeah, I was going 45 through a school zone. Okay. That's not the cop's fault. You need to take responsibility right. for your actions. Like, and, and so that's like a very simple example, but you know, that people that, that if you take responsibility for just anything in life, all of the things that are an outcome or you're involved with, you're going to find your life gets a lot easier. Now, as a, I know that as an employer, I would rather hear you hear someone that's late, literally tell me, well, you know, on, I just didn't get up on time. I didn't get prepared on time. And that's why I'm right. late. I slept rather in. than right. like, rather than the same traffic that I drove here with somehow prohibited you from getting here on time. Right. You know, so like, are you making excuses? I mean, that's, that's... Or are you owning the situation? That's one of our core values at Spark is, uh, you know, taking ownership and following through. I mean, that core value, and we try to, we try to weed that out in interview processes. And um, I mean, that is probably one of the most important from anyone, um, any employer, any startup, anything is uh, taking that ownership. And just like you said. What do you find that in your experience that it's difficult to find people that are wired that way? it's difficult to weed them out in the interview process. And I've learned that the difficult way. Now I've got a few uh, questions and, and tricks up my sleeve to try to weed some of that out. Um, because everyone can, I mean, hiring is guessing, firing is knowing, right? Um, but if, you know, if you can try to try to weed some of that out and, and do that core value alignment early on, um, you know, your odds of success go way up. Um, Viewing, you know, yeah, if you're viewing yeah, hiring I mean, just like a startup. I mean, well, a simple interview failures, question, right? yeah, a simple interview question to, to kind of get to the bottom of that is tell me about a time that you failed and just right. listen. And if, if, if the person talking to you is blaming anything, right. Blaming right. Yep. done. Yeah. They're, they're not, they the don't, one. they're not taking responsibility for it. And you know, when, and you know, that's kind of what I want to move into next. Cause if you're going to deal with startup failure, you have to learn from your own errors. Like, I mean, we're, we grow up going to history class in like second grade and they're like, the purpose of history class is to learn from our past mistakes so we don't make them again. And then we have a tendency to leave that in second and third grade and right. go about it, go out in life and make, you know, make the same mistakes. And, you know, today, and this is, this is going to be a ways down the road, but today, um, we published a video on the Startup Hustle YouTube channel that was the top seven reasons that startups fail. And they're like really predictable. Go to our YouTube channel and check it out. And, you know, some of it's just like the number one reason is a part product market fit. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, that's something that 
you know, what do they say? Prior proper planning prevents poor performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get an idea of that, but you know, like the, you know, some of the other things are just, I mean, honestly, just bad habits. So was there, it, when was the 2008 failure that you went through, how much of that could you, or can you attribute to maybe bad habits that you had then that you've shed up until now? Oh man. Yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to technology startups, um, and if there if there's a technical founder, um, in most cases, I mean, I don't know, I can make a, a guess, but I'm guessing in the 90 percentile, that person, and I was one of these, would much rather choose to sit behind a computer screen, work on features or anything other than going and talking to a customer, right? Um, and so, you know, when I saw that I was able to produce better results in a much faster time because I put the customer first, um, the needs of the customer first and went outside my comfort zone, which the comfort zone at that time was, I'm going to sit here and code, or I'm going to try to find some technical thing to do besides actually understanding the, the, the market. Um, I have now kind of built systems into my newer startups and newer companies to make sure that other technical people have to get out of those comfort zones too and stay close to the client. So that's kind of one of the examples was I, I kind of looked back and just said, man, I spent way too much time in front of a computer. But forgetting to sell stuff. Yep. Basically. Yeah, that. But we, that, that's a common thing in tech companies because a lot of times you end up with founders and co-founders and they're obsessed. That's product obsessed. Oh yeah. And, you know, eventually you got to sell something people like, I mean, I've, that you, you do because your idea, your business, all of it, none of it's validated until people start to give you money for it. And right. you know, I've had uh, instances over the last 15 years where people have come to me with ideas that would possibly be great for humanity, but had absolutely no ability to monetize. So some right. of that is also like, you know, is this something that someone will pay for? Um, and then how are you going to find them? Because the uh, the path to revenue on on software, um, I mean, you, you mentioned like you put in your app in and all of a sudden it's get like 3 million downloads and did it with an $1,800 startup. Uh, that is like a one in a billion kind of well, thing. Well, that it's, it's the technology was... Yeah. yeah, the technology was a simple part. My partner having access to the marketplace and being able to reach to those clients. I mean, that's the reason, right? The technology, anyone can do the technology piece. It's access to the marketplace, understanding the client. Um, and that crosses every single industry. Um, I mean, and that's where, you know, it, it starts to hockey stick down the road is when you start to get those people referring it to others, right? So. Um, but I just see too many times people are just, they call it product obsession, but I think it's just fear of, of failure, fear of sharing your idea, pitching your, your product or service and, and getting a no is what I think is probably the biggest thing keeping people from out, from doing it. Well, and people just, well, a lot of people just don't like to do it. So the, you know, the thing is, is I think that if you want to deal with failure, you have to start by looking at the things that you're good at and the things that you're not good at. And Definitely. the things that you're not good at, you need to find someone else to kind of compliment and fix those problems in your world 
or you're not, I mean, or it's going to become a problem. And when it comes to, to selling, um, so 90% of salespeople think they're great at sales and aren't. And, you know, like, I mean, they really aren't. And, you know, the thing is though, is you, you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. And, um, you know, it's a, I, I always say this to, when I talk to like pre-revenue people, I'm like, you need to get your marketing and your sales on point now, because yeah. you got to figure out like where that, where that niche is. And they'll be, yeah, but my total addressable market is a hundred million people. Okay. Then you oh, need yeah. to start even sooner. And you're going to get 1%. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause right. that sounds like an advantage now. And then you start to realize, oh shit, who do I really aim this to now in your case, you know, with your oh, app, man. it might've had a laser sharp, you know, user. And it, those are actually the companies that are, and the products that are easier to sell because they're kind of have a built-in, you know, say there's riches, riches in the niches. Um, yeah. And it's because if, you know, I, I mean, honestly, if you think that it's an advantage that your idea or your product has this massive total addressable market, so I thought that way as the founder of Gigabook. I was like, wow, everybody needs scheduling. Oh, yeah. Everybody could use this. And then I sat down and I was like, oh, so everybody can use this. Yeah. Or yeah. Because you know, I mean, the get... problem is, is now you're trying to advertise. I mean, you're like, that's literally like the kind of businesses oh, that have to yeah. buy Super Bowl ads or something, you know, because everybody can use it. So that means that you're going to have a lot of wasted impressions. You don't, you've got a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of salespeople. And, you know, these are, so, you know, when it comes to, I, you, you can't live in a state of denial. And, you know, when it, when it comes, and when it comes to just startup failure in general, own it, wear it on your sleeve. Don't, yep. don't show up to your pitch to an investor and try to hide it. Cause first off, Anybody that's worth taking money from or that can write a check that matters is going to figure it out anyway. Right. It's a good point. So just show up on day one and own it and say, you know, say, hey, so this is what we've tried that didn't work. This is what we learned from it. And this is how we're approaching everything going forward from the data that we gather. And that, and by the way, those are the companies that get funded. Yeah, I mean, showing your decision making process and how you know how you're going to avoid those in the future, I think, is key. Um, and going, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, I mean, I had a mentor. Um, well, that's the other thing is finding mentors is huge. Um, you know, I've had some great mentors over the years that have helped me through some of that stuff. Um, but you know, a lot of times, what what I'll hear is you know, success without uh, failure is luck. Um, you know, you I don't need believe to, in uh, luck. Yeah, I don't even believe in it. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's I mean, funny because you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Well, exactly. So it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you need to you need to find those things. You need to get those battle scars. But yeah, learning from them and and making decisions in the future to uh, is huge. And you know, I see it all the time now that now that we're building software for others. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's great to be able to help clients not make some of those same mistakes, um, and asking them to get feedback from potential customers and, and going through that, uh, because yeah, there's not a really good playbook out there because you just have to learn this stuff on your own. 
You can read as many yeah, of these you know, books. I read every single book <laughs> about startups. Well, oh, yeah. Well, and you know, the good news is, is here in 2022, we're in this golden age of information. I mean, you know, like there's 750 plus, by the time this comes out, probably 800 episodes of Startup Hustle. Like we've had some of the most successful people that you're going to find on the show and they're really open. Like I find that the most successful people I know are really open. They actually, you know, I'm in the same boat. I look back at like all the shit that didn't work and I laugh about it. And sometimes I'm like, man, I can't believe that we thought it was going to work, you know, and and you (laughs) just kind of laugh it off. And because guess what? Unless any of you have invented a working time machine, you don't get to go back and do it over again. So you yeah. know, you just pick it up. Now I want what's, to talk what's about your... other... Oh, go ahead, Matt. Uh, no, ask please. Oh, I, I was going to ask. I, I what... welcome questions. Yeah. So what was your biggest? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe what was the dumbest failure? The one that you look back at the most and say, "What was I thinking?" You know, I look back at you know that question. I've had I've had people ask, and you know, honestly, I've I've I haven't had an actual business that just like went boom. And, you know, meaning like in a bad way, uh, but I've had like, I, I, I'm a self-admitted person that tries uh, 10 things, hoping that one of, hoping that one of them works. So, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm also like, and I'm cool with that, but I remember, I remember uh, when I had first started, so I used to own a ticketing company and, um, and part of how we, you know, we bought and sold tickets. And then we also had uh, online marketplaces and we had a whole bunch of them and we would we had a whole operation going where we were posting ads online you know craigslist um and just yep. a lot of different stuff and i and I, I got really frustrated because you know those uh, those sites throttle your use of them so i was like you know what fuck it i'm gonna build my own marketplace and i took like all of the best qualities out of craigslist and uh you know backpage.com before yeah, that yeah. was like in the business of selling hookers you know it was still very effective and i took all of these things <laughs> and i built this really amazing online classified site of sorts and then i very quickly learned about the marketplace effect, as I call it, meaning if you don't have buyers and an equal amount of sellers, um, I compare it to oh, uh, man. For, yeah. and and the the men of the are my male listeners will recognize this. You know the, that night where you go out with your friends and you're like, hey, let's go meet some women, and you go around to some different bars and you walk in and it's empty and you just turn around and leave again. <laughs> You know, and it's like, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, however, you know, like you want to be where things Uh, are happening. So if you don't have buyers and you don't have sellers, you can't get people in there at all. And we tried and tried and tried to populate it. And like, I mean, it was free, but we couldn't get, we just couldn't get the traction on the buying and the selling side is dually yeah. complex because oh, you got to have yeah. both. You can't just have people. If, if you're in a marketplace where people are only selling stuff and people aren't buying, you don't have a marketplace. That's so, probably one of the <laughs> toughest types of startups is the multi-user. Oh, so much bandwidth. Model. <laughs> I've so done much one of those energy. And, oh yeah. So much energy, so much effort, so much stubbornness of thinking that we could fix it. And, just finally given up. And, you know, right. and of course, along the way, we didn't just build one, we built like six of them that we cloned out. So it was like, Oh, yeah, you know, I, I look at that as you know, one of the things that was just dumb, 
you know, it's like, I mean, it was, and I've learned, I learned so much from that and really took that lesson to a lot of other people, especially like clients and people we work with or people that have sought my advice. And, you know, they're like, Hey, I've got this, whatever. And it has a marketplace component to it. And you're like, okay, well, and they're like, yeah, and I'm going to, and I'm going to have paying users right away. And I'm like, no, you're not. And they're like, yeah, I am. I'm like, no, you're not. Cause you're going to have a hell of a lot of sellers and how are you going to get buyers in there? And then you got to have a bunch of both, not just like three on each side of it. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So the marketplace, I had effect, a, uh, and, um, <laughs> I had a potential investor when I was pitching my my marketplace. Gosh, what was I thinking? Uh, the the investor said, "Hey, uh, why don't you before I give you any money?" He says, "Why don't you map out the workflow on everything that has to happen uh, for you to collect revenue in this marketplace?" And I'm like, "Oh, piece of cake! I'll have it to you tomorrow." You know, I go home, I get Visio out or whatever at the time. Right? We didn't have all this all these cool tools. And it was like the most complicated workflow diagram yeah. I'd ever seen, right? I needed this person to join and then I needed them to create an account and I need them to do this and then I need to do this. And I needed this person over here to join. And it was like that investor who eventually became a mentor, I realized he was just helping me learn with his questions. Uh, gosh, it's just, and that's something I do now in, in startups too, is, is do the diagram of what has to happen for you to collect a dollar. And that'll weed out a lot of bad ideas. <laughs> Well, they call it the law of supply and demand, not the rule for a reason. And, you know, mar the marketplace, marketplaces, I mean, there's literally like, and, and I look back and I'm like, God, how dumb was I? Like, I thought that I was going to somehow just overcome all these things. And, you know, it just requires a lot of money, patience and diligence. Uh, those things don't happen quickly. Once again, with me today, I've got Bob Armbrister and Bob's the president and CEO of Spark Business Works. Go to sparkbusinessworks.com. There's a link in the show notes. And, you know, before we get into the Founders Freestyle, which is how I like to end my episodes to start a puzzle, I want to give you a quick reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Do you need developers and you need them now? We got teams that we're ready to deploy for you. They're going to work only for you and uh, learn how to be on your team, not the other way around. So I, I mentioned that I like to end my episodes of Founders Freestyle with the Founders Freestyle. It's because I'm not the only host here on Startup Hustle. Make sure you tune in to Andrew Morgan's weekly show. He talks all about Amazon and e-commerce. And if you haven't had enough of us yet, stick around because Lauren Conaway is going to uh, talk to you about so many of the things that I'm not good at talking to you about. She's a social, uh, a social crusader and someone who I'm really proud to have shows with. Now, for those of you that have been listening for a long time and you're used to hearing episodes with myself and Matt Watson, guess what? Matt is going to have his own weekly show. We're finally putting the kid back to work and he's going to do them. He's going to work with, have his own show without me. And I, that's going to feel weird for me and for Matt, but stick around. Now, Bob, I mentioned the Founders Freestyle. I like to end my shows by giving our guests a chance to either mention things that you might have missed, uh, anything that you wanted to say, or perhaps kind of uh, reminisce about the highlights or things that meant the most to you in today's conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I mean, uh, you know, at Spark, you know, we're, we're building software for, for startups, entrepreneurs, um, 
to eventually help them build a team, right? We're that we're we're helping people eventually build something that that they can then in house. Um, the the approach we take is kind of this the the approach that I've learned over the years that we just talked about, right? Talking to the customer early and often. Um, every single startup, regardless of of marketplace, has to have a buyer and uh, getting close to them. Um, most technology startups, you try to focus too much internally and, and not enough on that client. I think uh, getting out of your comfort zone, getting out there, talking to them um, is key. And uh, most importantly, the expectation setting. I see too many young founders um, with emotional stress around expectations that they let other people set for them. Um, focus on on your needs and they're going to change over time. Um, and, and kind of have that self-awareness of, of where you're at, where your strengths are and what you really need, uh, and why you're doing it most importantly. So really appreciate the time, Matt. It's great. I love talking to, to other entrepreneurs and, and, and reminiscing on, on the failures and, and trying to help others maybe, um, realize those uh, easier than we did. Yeah, and I agree. You know, I, I think overall, I think that what's important to know is that you need to build an economy where you depend on yourself. And, you know, that is the key ingredient. And if you can get the fear of failure out of the way, you have got an amazing ability to get a whole lot of stuff done. Um, being afraid of failure or, uh, you know, we're, we're all well endowed with all the doubt we need. And, you know, the thing is, is that doesn't, that isn't a productive outcome. So um, find yourself in a position where you can recommit to your goals on a regular basis and Definitely. make sure that you can get it done. So, well, Bob, I'm going to, I'm going to head out. I'm going to catch up with you down the road. All right, Matt. Thanks for your time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.